So as we're learning of the Shabbos, Shulchan Aruch, and the adjacent Simonim, with an emphasis on cases of Masa, Matan, commerce, business, with non-Jews in the mix. And the Rish Kail, of course, already gave a shir on the, the subject specifically of Shtar Mechira on Shabbos to be matched certain things in that way. And of course, even on that topic, there's what there's always what to add. But uh, the, my choice here today is to continue uh, in this vein, me'inyan le'inyan, to another uh, relevant topic, especially lately in the last uh, 10, 20 years, which is the question of, can you have an online business? Can you have a website open, up and running on Shabbos with the potential for transactions to occur? Or whether it's your own website, whether you're hosting it on larger website, can your business be open on Shabbos online in any form? And uh, I I believe last year, as people mentioned that for those on Amazon specifically, things got more complicated because up until a certain point, you were able to remove your listings uh, at a certain point. You could take your listings off for Shabbos. And then Amazon apparently changed that. Uh, So that raised new questions. So these are the types of questions people are, have been dealing with, uh, especially for the last 10, 20 years. All right, so the question is, you're not, you're leaving it up. It's, you're not actively involved for that period of time. You set it up in advance. And now the question is, whether non-Jews or even perhaps non-Torah observant Jews, non-Shabbos observant Jews, whether they might go ahead and, and do something, or whether you're then responsible you also a party to that uh, malacha or whatever it is that was done on Shabbos. So as I said, this is a discussion that's come up in recent years, and it's been discussed in a number of places. For example, the journal, the Alachic journal, Uri Yisrael, which is uh, under the, the, the editors of Gedalia Oberlander. So already in Tov Shlitzamach Dalet, back in 2004, they had a, a section, Al HaPerek, a topical uh, contemporary question, uh, with a lot of submissions and contributions from uh, a number of Paiskim from the Chiddusha world, some at length, some in short, etc. There are others as well. So uh, we're not here necessarily to be mechadish and break new ground in this topic, but like uh, as, in, as is the case in many shiurim, to try to give you some general introduction to the issues and to the opinions involved, and also to focus part of the time on presenting some of the actual Shakta Vitaria, so it's not just an overview without understanding some of the actual back and forth and the rias and the questions and the answers. So to get to the topic, right? So Yid, again, Yid has, a web, has a website open on Shabbos, and we assume purchases are being made throughout the day. What are the halachic elements here? And based on that, is there is it mutter or is it asr? So it would seem that this is a brand new question that may have never uh, existed before in history. But the truth is, is that all of the uh, Paiskim today who approach this question, the starting point they all start from, or almost all of them start from, is actually a Shaila that was asked already close to 100 years ago, in the 1920s. And the main source... Before we get to the question, the main source for this is the, the Shut, the Shal's Shudas Maharshag. Who's the Maharshag? The Maharshag is Shimon Greenfeld. He lived from 1860 to 1930. He was a Rav, a Rosh Hashiva, Paisik in Hungary, 
mainly in the city of Smehali, uh, you pronounce it, uh, for, for, for many decades. And Shimon Greenfeld is known for short as Marshag. That's, in fact, almost no one ever refers to him by his name, unless you're trying to explain what Marshag stands for. And he was considered a big uh, Paisic, a big Meshav, he used to write a lot of Chuvas uh, in his time and place in Hungary. Interestingly, there is a somewhat of uh, a Chabad connection. There's a letter from the Rebbe in Igris Chelet Tazayan from Kislev Tavshin Yitchas to Reb Shleim Kupchik. And the Rebbe writes, B'masha Kasa Avoides Harav Shiyichya Mimakav V'shehu Talmidoi Shel Harash Greenfeld Ba'amachaber Shut Marashag So, B'vadai B'zdabna Sudu'uya You have the right chance to send him regards even though I don't know him. And I'm sure that he'll do whatever he can to be mefit to Tadis Abel Shemtim, and especially Tadis Chabad. And, uh, and why do I why do I think so? That this says that uh, why do I think uh, this Talmud of Marshag is going to be amenable? Because Mischazekas Tikvasi Zu, my my hope is strengthened. Ayadei Hayachas Lerabenu Hazaken Meirabe Shalhanal, based on the uh, the attitude, the the relation, the the approach of the Marshag towards the Alter Rebbe. Kamuvan, where do we see this from? We, just, we can understand this. We see that the Marshak sometimes goes out of his way to forend for the Altareva, and he goes into a tshuva and chilek beis, two tshuvas actually. And the Rebbe adds, I don't have chilek aleph, but it was, it was probably like this in chilek aleph as well. So that was how the Rebbe wrote. This is the, the signum that the very interesting lashon that the Rebbe is writing to. By the way, who is this Rav Mimakov? I was curious when I was looking at the letters. So apparently it's what is known in Israel. There's a community, called Makave. And uh, the name there is Lamberger. The Rav then was Ramesh Nasser Nata Lamberger. And he's talking known as the Gavad Makave. And he was a Talmud of the Marshag. And he lived in the same place where Shlema Kupchik lived. So it's uh, pretty much pretty clearly a match. In addition, there's a story which I remember hearing. I looked it up. Uh, it's been printed in Karachabad and places like that. But there's another Talmud of the Marashak that says that he was once, uh, he once visited the Rebbe for Yechidus, and the Rebbe asked him, what's your background? Where did you learn? So he said, eh, one of the Ungadashir Abadim, you probably don't know him. So the Rebbe said, Adarab, if I don't know him, I would like to hear about him. Who is it? So uh, he starts saying, well, he's known as the Marashak. Let me explain. And the Rebbe says, oh, Marashak. Shah quotes the Al-Tareb in his Chuvis X number of times. The number given is 77. I don't know if we and the number in the story, but the Rebbe gave a number and said it's, he quotes the Al-Tareb this number of times. And I'll even tell you that in this number of those instances, he forenters the Al-Tareb. And in this number of instances, like by Akasha. So uh, the Talmud of the Marshah was, was overwhelmed to see the, the Rebbe's Bakanshaft uh, with Marshah to this extent. Anyway, that's all uh, by way of introduction. Let's go back to the topic. Why is the Marshah talking about a question about selling online that could be 100 years ago? What was happening 100 years ago? The answer is he was talking about vending machines. If you think about it for a moment, vending machines are practically almost the same concept. You set up your shop, you set up your wares for sale, uh, and it's set up to be automated to a certain extent. You're not going to be around. There's an automated system. And then the sale occurs and the money is received, possibly during Shabbos, by the person making the purchase without the involvement uh, at all of the seller, of the Yiddish seller. 
there might be also some differences and some distinctions, which we might get to in the as we go through it later or in the next installment. What is the history? How long have vending machines been around? In case you're wondering, so I looked it up. Apparently, it's been around in England since the 1880s. And then it started taking off. Um, and there was already a company in the late 1880s that was installing them and maintaining them. And then in 1893, there was a, a German chocolate manufacturer that started selling chocolate. Until then, it was postcards. And then the German, in the 1890s, they started selling chocolate in the machines. Um, and they set up an entire network and infrastructure to have representatives in every location to run the machine, to be responsible for the machine. That's the basic history. So by the 1920s, vending machines were already uh, a long-established uh, you know, mechanism and, and method of sales. So in Tafnish Pezayin, presumably 1927, the Marshag received this question. Like I said, it's... Four, we'll start with this today, and we're not going to get through the whole shiva and through everything that follows all in, in one shot. We'll be in continuation, Mezus Hashem. But while we're going through the Marshag, which I'm going to focus on now for the rest of uh, today, so you can keep in mind if there's any difference or, or certainly many comparisons to the question that we're facing today. So this is what he was asked, and I have the shiva here. So he's asked, automat. It's still called that in German, in German, by the way, till today. It's called an automat that was uh, invented recently, that you put it outside in the streets, and inside you put tzikrlech v'chakalat. That's what the Marshad writes. And it's set up that whoever throws a coin in, whatever the set amount uh, is, uh, either for the for the candy or for the chocolate, but then the box opens and you're able to get your purchase in exchange for your money. So now the shaila is standing outside also on Shabbos and on Jews or even Yidin, he calls them Yisraelim Deloy Mali. Um, maybe we would probably use a, a gentler uh, term, but people that are not Shemar Shabbos are going to come and, and use the machine. They'll put the coin in, etc., so is the person, is the owner, is the Jewish owner, is he liable, is he responsible, is he chayev uh, here somehow for something that happened on Shabbos? He's writing this to someone whose father owns, uh, owns one such machine. So Marshall begins by saying that it's my opinion to be matter, whether it's in the street or even potentially, at least, even if it's in a Yid's uh, property. And it is as as follows. He says, um, if the machine is standing in the Shusar Abim, what what's the first possible problem? Well, the first possible problem is, would we consider this to be a malacha that the, that the owner is a part of, that the owner is a party to? Right, let's assume there's some kind of malacha happening. Does that mean that by, by setting it up and allowing for it to happen, does that mean that already the owner committed a malacha? Right? He, he's not involved here. He's not involved now. He's not around now. He set it up uh, during the week or months ago, uh, at some point during on a weekday. So now the question would be, question number one would be, are we even like literally blaming him and saying you essentially almost committed this malacha by being a party to this uh, act on Shams? So to that, to that, the Marshag says, This is a, a basic question, right, in Paragal of Shabbos. And it says, And we hold like Bishil. 
So you're allowed to put traps out on Erev Shabbos, even though the traps are, are actively uh, in operation on Shabbos. And you're allowed to put uh, wool in the pot, and it'll get dyed on Shabbos. And many other malachas like this. Why? Because the malach is happening on its own. And even though you did a pu'ula on Erev Shabbos, but that's, that's the malach. The malach is, is that whatever you did on Erev Shabbos, you did on Erev Shabbos. Whatever happens afterwards on Shabbos happens on Shabbos on its own. I'm going to mention that in a moment, but yeah, the answer is we're not we're not Mitzvah on I'm going to quote from the Altareb in a second that addresses this. We're going to get to that in a second. So, Kol Shekain, and those are Malachas Deiraisa. Presumably over here, there's no Malacha per se. It's Mecha Chumemkar, which is, you know, there's layers of how we got to Mecha Chumemkar being Aser, Mishim Ksiva, whatever it is. So, Mecha Chumemkar, Kol Shekain, Vade Mutter, even if you did a Pula on Erev Shabbos. So now I just want to dwell on that before we continue with the Marashag. So this is a, these, are, these are halachas that are in Shulchan Aruch, Simonation on Beis, if you summon them up. So I want to quote from Alta Rebbe there just to elaborate on this a bit more. Alta Rebbe says, Mutter Asma Malachabar of Shabbos, Samachlach Sheikha, even though you can't finish it, it's going to conclude on its own on Shabbos, right? Because you're not. Involved at that point, you're not doing anything at that point. And Alter adds, even if it's going to be the klisha Yisrael, it's taking place in your kli, it's still not a problem. That's the halacha we go with in Shulchan Aruch that your kalim of their on their own don't have to be shavus. So beside your action, there's no action. Without the keli, we don't care about the keli. And even if the Altarebbe adds, even if it's the Kali, you think about it, not all, these, not all malachas are the same. So in the case of the Tzad, when you put out the, when you put it out, you didn't really start the malacha at all. You didn't do any Tzad when you just put a trap out in the, in the forest. You put a machine, at some point, an animal's going to come along, and the mice of Tzad, the entire mice is going to happen on Shabbos. So even if the Kali is mamish doing the malacha on its own, Technically, you didn't even contribute to it, but it doesn't matter. We don't care whether you're you're not doing it. The keli doing it doesn't matter. It's all fine. More examples: Altarev gives in. If you dalid, you're allowed to get your water running before Shabbos and, and water your uh, water your plants, water your garden. Kola uh, Shabbos kula, even though of course you're not allowed to water your plants on Shabbos. You're allowed to put your olives or your grapes in the press. And uh, the presses can be squeezing them all Shabbos. Sift you're allowed to put wheat in a, in a water mill, uh, and it can grind throughout Shabbos. I belongs to Yid. I, there's, it's making noise. People are going to say, oh, his, his, his mill is operating on Shabbos. So we say, no, it's still not a problem. Everyone knows that water mills operate on their own, and no one's going to be chesh that he's going to put it in on Shabbos. V'yeshchok, and that already is a, a debate. Others say that there's hashmas, coil, wherever there's noise involved, but then even if it happens on its own, there's a zilzal Shabbos, it looks like you started on Shabbos. But Shulchan Aruch essentially is saying that in theory, a person can operate an entire factory on Shabbos as long as you set it up in advance. So that could be a bit surprising to, to, to realize that and to notice that this is, this is really the halach. Now, today, when we have endless uh, electronic machines, so we can uh, stay in business on Shabbos. So why, why, don't we, uh, why don't we do that? So, it's been accepted that we only use um, the regular machines that we use at home.
for our comfort at home, those are the electronic machines we allow to either set up in advance or maybe use a Shabbos clock, but not L'Tzerich Parnasa, nothing to do with your business. There's a very famous Tshuva of the Igris Meisha, and that's what I'm going to go off for a moment and get into that. So the Igris Meisha, Chaim, Chelidal, Simon Samach, the Tshuva from Tavshin Lamed Zayin to his grandson, Mordechai Tendler, and the question was, the context here is about Shabbos clocks, but there's a lot of similarity and overlap between these two questions. So the question was, electricity with the, with the Shabbos clock, with a clock, a timer. Um, and the question was specifically about cooking. Can you put a timer on uh, an electronic cooking device, whatever it is, uh, you know, a crock pot, etc., and turn it on in time for when you want to eat it, so it'll heat up for when you need it. So the Ramesha says, Obviously, you can't be mocked to this, because then we can do all the machas and Shabbos, factories. That, to him, is the, the biggest proof. That, uh, if that means that all the factories can be up and running, then it can't be. And this is, I thought would say it's a famous quote. He says, If this was they would have addressed it and they would have answered it. They didn't, because it wasn't around. But if, we know for sure that if they were around, it was around, they for sure would have answered it. And that's why they came up with Amir Lach. How do you think the Chacham came up with Amir Lach? And they didn't like uh, stuff happening on Shabbos. So they came up with the whole framework of Amir Lach. It was, uh, they, they literally were responding to what they didn't like. So if they would have seen this, they would have responded similarly. Maybe it's even included in Amir Lach. Because... Whether it's Amir HaYisrael, Maisa HaYisrael, don't get uh, bogged down on the technicalities of Amir Lakum. It's the, the the spirit of Amir Lakum. Ah, what about all the halachas that you can set something on the fire before Shabbos, even a second before Shabbos, and it can continue uh, on Shabbos? So he says that where you actually... Got, got the ball moving, you, you started the action tackle before Shabbos. Then the fire is doing whatever it's doing. That's not your business. But if you only set up the clock, so then nothing happened yet. So that makes it worse, the Misha says. And then he quotes, the, there's a famous Nemuka Yosef that asks, how does Isha Mishim Chitzav, which, which means that you're responsible when you shoot someone, technically uh, a moment elapses between the act that you did and the outcome, but yeah, we attribute the outcome to your actions, or the Mugis, the same as Kasha is, why isn't Shabbos the same? Why by Shabbos do we say that you can uh, shoot the gun before Shabbos, and whatever happens after Shabbos is already not your problem? So the Mugis Yosef's uh, answer is, is that... It's like the lambdas. What's the lambdas of Isha Mishim Chitza? The idea is, is that the moment you did, that, that when you pulled the trigger, everything that happens afterwards is considered to have happened in that moment. So, take, whatever is happening in Shabbos, the outcome is a result. You can't say that it's happening on its own. It is the result of your actions. But however, it all happened in Erev Shabbos. It all goes back to that moment in Erev Shabbos when you did whatever you did. So he says, so that also can fit with these different, so these halachs and Shabbos, the water, the rechaim, but with the uh, setting up the clock, he says, no, 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 it's, it's not, uh, it's, it's this, because you didn't start the malacha now, because the malacha hasn't been set in motion now, so in a way, you disconnected the, uh, the malacha, it all has to happen in Arab Shabbos, but it didn't all happen in Arab Shabbos. So that makes it worse, according to Rav
So in a way, it makes it worse. In a way, though, okay, but then why, if it's disconnected from what you did on Arab Shabbos, that should go both ways. Then why, then why is it your fault that it happens later on Shabbos? If, if you want to attribute it to your Misa, so then if you want to blame me for setting up the Shabbos clock, the only way you can blame me for setting up the Shabbos clock is if you look at what I did in Arab Shabbos. You're telling me that I shouldn't look at what I did in Arab Shabbos, and it's not like what happened on Shabbos as a result of what I did in Arab Shabbos. Okay, then why you, uh, who, who are you complaining to? I, I, I didn't do anything. So, no, Mustaber, that you should still answer it, Al back to that idea. Um, that's his, you know, it, it, it's clear that Ramesh himself is struggling a bit with uh, being mocked or exactly what the problem is, but he's very determined to explain that it's not okay. And he says, I, what's the whole reason for Milakim? Even if you're going to say that it's a din and shlichus, by the way, there's a whole sikha from the rabbi, someone asked, there's a sikha from the rabbi on Amir Akam from Shavuot, Stavshin Chavdalet, and the Rebbe gets into the, the reasons, the three reasons that the Rebbe brings for Amir Akam. The Rebbe explains how each one has a mile and a chasern, and there's always a prat and halacha that's only explained by this one and not by this one, etc. So Rebbe Moshe says, if you're going to say shlichus, so there's no shlichus here, but it's b'koychay, b'koychay da Yisrael, it's close enough. Um... And even if you're going to say it's not really shlichus, it's just chachamim answered it, and, and shlichus is just the wording they used. So again, he says this is something Chazal would want to uh, to answer. This wasn't around them, but Chazal would certainly want to answer. Then he adds, it's also zilus of the Shabbos. This is uh, insulting and not bechavet of Shabbos. And he's magder that we know this didn't covet Shabbos. He says zilus of the Shabbos is the exact opposite of covet Shabbos. So if you have zilus, you don't have covet. You have covet, you don't have zilus. So it's a zilusa to, to have this going on. Ah, what about the lights? I have one's already using Shabbos clock, the Shabbos clock phone. That's fine, because we used to ask Goyim to turn the lights on and off back in Europe. He gets into that, and the cases in which it was allowed, and not only off, but sometimes on. So there's already a, a history and a background for that. So if we treat Shabbos clock like a guy, there's some basis to use a Shabbos clock for lights. But nothing else. So Ramesh actually goes even further than most today do, because it seems like Ramesh is mamish only mat to Shabbos clock for lights. But Payal, it's accepted. Hmm? So he's, uh, so I saw that, I happened to come across and Reb Tzvi Reisman and Ratz Katzvi says he got a, a correspondence from Reuven Feinstein. Reuven Feinstein says his father, Assert, in the yeshiva, in MTJ, Ramesh Assert to put the air conditioner on a Shabbos clock. So we'll have, to, we'll have to take a look. But that's what uh, Rav Ruben says. Uh, ACs also have a problem with this noise. So the idea of the rash from the Rechayim, so that's an additional... Hmm. But yeah, generally, what we, the halacha we follow is, is that anything that's part of, also, Kavit Shabbos, seemingly all having an air conditioner, these all contribute to Kavit Shabbos in the sense that it's helping you, uh, it's, it's bettering your Shabbos. But so we haven't taken Ramesha 100%. Huh? Right, so I'm not even here to talk about Shabbos clocks. I'm mean, just taking this word for Ramesha that Ramesha said, we can't have factories open on Shabbos. That's Amir Lakum, Kayach Yisro, whatever it is. So without getting into the Shabbos clock issue uh, in too much detail, but there's this general idea that we don't want to, uh, we don't want to just uh, set things up and let them stay in motion and for no reason if it's not adding to Shabbos. So we don't really have that much time. Interestingly, there's an interesting shuva of uh, Menashe Klein. Menashe Klein wrote also in the 30s, around the same time, to a Talmud of his, who was a computer programmer. The computer programmer, especially back then in the 70s, 
at any point, the things you, if you want to do a serious computer job, it has to run for many hours. He asked from Nasha Klein if he can let it, he can start on Erev Shabbos, let it run on Shabbos. Rav Nasha Klein surprisingly said that uh, yeah, if it's not in your house uh, and it's not, uh, and the factory is not your fa- the, the, the company, wherever it is, is not your company, so uh, could be it's fine. So that's that's interesting as well. Could be it's fine or not? Uh, in that particular case, meaning it sounds like if it's in your house, you wouldn't be okay with it. But in the, the case where it's not in your uh, rishos, then it's uh, it should be fine. Um, these are questions that we have today. Yeah, so generally that's not something that uh, that we do. So these are these are there are many discussions like this regarding different machines nowadays, and they all grow out of these these points. So, for example, someone asked me last year, one of the cutting light here last year, asked me, "What about a bread maker a machine that you put all the ingredients in, and after a few hours uh, you get bread?" That's a question that's been discussed in, in recent years, and it seems like they're native to be machmer. Any machine that's not one of the basic ones that's part of your everyday life, it's more likely they'll say uh, it's not okay. If you want uh, a good overview, basic overview, Piskei Tshuvah's simulation of Bayes is a good source. Okay, we're going to have to pause here, and we'll be mamshech tomorrow, Mitzvah <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.